The theaters have closed, but the show will go on. Play Me Podcast is thrilled to present a new series, The Show Must Go On, featuring provocative productions from some of North America's most acclaimed creators for the stage. Sit back and experience everything from chilling thrillers to gut-wrenching dramas to irreverent comedies. Each month, experience the exhilaration of theater from the comfort of your own home. Play Me, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, it's Lou. Just a quick warning that today's episode contains language and subject matter that might be sensitive for some listeners. I uh, believed the kind of Hemingway ethos that uh, going to war made a man, and and that, that's in fact what I got. But uh, careful what you wish for. From CBC, this is Love Me, a show about the messiness of human connection. I'm Lou. Today's episode, The Detonator. Spring 2003. He is my ex-boyfriend's friend. I am a senior in college. We're hanging out next to some train tracks. We're sitting by a tree. I don't really know him, but his friend and I just broke up, and I need someone to talk to. January 2006. My sister and I bump into him on the street. I'm surprised to see him. It's been years since I've thought of him. We say hi and go our separate ways. He is a ship. I am passing in the night. Almost five years later, he sends me an email. Hey, stranger. I'll be in town September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. I'd like to see you, if you're not too busy. I am busy. I blow him off with a friendly reply. He's a distant memory. I am a slippery mind. One week later, he writes, I saw this photo you posted online. The room was light. It looked like basil on the windowsill, a framed poster I couldn't make out. Your hair was tucked behind your ear. You were looking down. You were lit up, glowing. 
I looked at that photo a long time. I don't write back. I didn't mean to bother you. Smiley face. He's the lure on the line's end. I'm swimming in the other direction. The next day, he writes again. I hope you excuse the late email. I just got off work. And the next day. I'll be okay if you don't love me. I won't be mean or bug you. And the next. Oh shit, I got frustrated and wrote your sister. Oops. He's a jackhammer outside my window. We can at least get to know each other. I am a pair of earplugs. I looked at that photo a long time. I don't know if I'd ever seen you look that happy before. I couldn't help but wonder, is it because of me? A month's worth of emails later, I write, please stop. This has been going on long enough. I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but now I must say, stop contacting me and especially my family. I do not reciprocate and I am not interested in communicating with you. He writes back immediately. Please understand. I have no intention of disrespecting your desire to be out of touch. At the same time, you lead me on via Facebook. I know that smile is for me. I delete my Facebook. He is a wolf in waiting. I am a sacrificial lamb. Just so you know, I'm going to write you every day for the rest of your life. And so far, he has. You say you want me to stop? Like the Egyptian food waller who doused himself in gasoline and lit the match. This email is my protest. I do think someone should tell me if you are no longer a virgin and have a boyfriend. You want to spend time with me, obviously. But am I in your soul? That's a rhetorical question. You know I am. Clearly, I am. 2011. Lady razors are much sharper than man razors. I go to the police. They ask me, is he threatening to kill or hurt you? I show them the emails. I looked at that photo a long time. They say, it just sounds like he's in love with you. I'm just in love with you. He is the boombox outside my window. I'm in love with you. I am the cold bitch inside. Two thousand twelve. He sends my mom a package covered in a weird collage. Did your mom like my collage? She asked me what I've done to bring this into our lives. I got frustrated from your sister. He is a bomb, and I am the detonator.
2013. I moved to a new city. I started a new job. One that I'm excited about. He handwrites 365 erotic haikus and sends them to my new colleagues. A glimpse of nipple. Each one is dedicated to me. Heartbreak kicked in like a bomb. I go back to the police. Woman's naked back. They're worried about the poems. They say this seems to be an homage to a famous Japanese serial killer. Every time he killed a villager, he taped a haiku to their window. Setting on fire, smoke gives delight to a country fellow. He is a poet. I'm the blank page. Hello, my fellow conquistadors of the mind. 2014. In lieu of the paper I had planned to present, I've prepared a short talk for you today about jelly beans. Classically, jelly beans are flavored. I'm scheduled to present at a professional conference. And an email has been sent in my name saying that I've changed the topic of my talk. Bubblegum, Black Death, Watermelon, and Plum. Colleagues from all over the world call me and ask me to explain. Please, eat a jelly bean. What does it taste like? He has a sugar craving. I am his drugstore candy. He sends me a plane ticket. For me to come visit him, he says. I'll be very gentle. I promise. A few hours later. I'm just handing you rope. You'll hang yourself. I get a restraining order. He says he has a distinct impression that the restraining order is a challenge. I love a challenge. He is a game of tag. I don't want to be it. He flies to the city where I live. I'm feeling dangerous. He shows up at my place of work while I'm not there. Where were you? This violates his restraining order, and he spends three months in jail. I have no idea what I mean to you. Everything and nothing. He needs professional help, and I need freedom. Jail provides us with neither. What do you do if you're on a playground and someone pushes you? What do you do? You push her back. Then go back to enjoying hopscotch. 2015. You can love me again. I have his emails automatically forwarded to a separate account so that I don't have to see them. Shame on you. Shame on you. I get a friend to read them sometimes. To check for threats to my family. Even if I'm speaking to a brick wall, I need to use my voice. By now, I've spent thousands of dollars on lawyer's fees. I'm going to keep writing until you say something nice to me. 2016. I want you to have my baby. 
I try to go on dates. If I marry you, I do laundry. Some will say I'm married beneath me. I clean the house. Love cannot be extracted like a tooth. I get bangs. You were wrong, pumpkin. I eat breakfast. I had spicy potatoes for breakfast. I call my mom. How could you hurt a man that sent you nice songs? I move apartments. Hope you enjoyed your Christmas gift, jerk. I get sick. I think you're a spoiled child. I get well again. I'll stop bothering you. I buy groceries. I'm going to keep writing until you say something nice to me. You were wrong, pumpkin. 2017. I find a job that I love. That I don't think he knows about. And I meet someone. I grow out my hair. Sometimes I almost forget that he is lurking in the background. Almost. 2018. Yesterday. A canvasser stops me on the street, asking for signatures against animal cruelty. I say sure, but change my mind when I have to fill in my address on the form. Why are you being so precious about privacy? The kid asks me. I want to explode on him, to reveal a history of violation and pain But how would I even start? Would I shout, he is a tumor. I am an organ adjusting. He is a bear trap, and I am learning to walk with three legs. He is a metal fence, and I am a tree that fucking has to grow around it. He is a magnifying glass. I am an insect burning. He is an arrow. I am his target. He is a parasite. I am his host. Instead, I just say, I have a stalker. I have a stalker. And the kid stares at me for a minute, then turns to the next passerby as I walk away. this woman, this artist, this mother who broke the candle and snuffed out her light along with her husband and wounded their children 
and sauntered away like a beast in the night. I joined the Navy when I was just about to turn 20 years old. I uh, believed a kind of Hemingway ethos that uh, going to war made a man, and I thought the experience of being in the military would allow me to see things that I wouldn't otherwise see. And that's, in fact, what I got, but uh, careful what you wish for. It was June 26, 1993. I was uh, aboard the USS Chancellorsville, and we were in the northern Arabian Gulf. I was told specifically that we were going to make the real attack that night and the target of the attack was the Mahabharat which was the center of Iraqi intelligence that facility was located in uh, a suburban area of Baghdad we were a thousand something like a thousand miles away at sea this woman, this artist, this mother who broke the candle and snuffed out her light that I said the leader who ordered the slaughter I'm saddened it happened then war is hell the chaplain of the ship said a prayer over the intercom of the ship every night and the prayer he chose that night was what's known as the prayer of St. Francis make me a channel of your peace where there's hatred let me, let me bring love where there's wrong let me bring a spirit of forgiveness where there's discord let me bring harmony several hours later the attack was launched at close to midnight hatches open up and the missiles fire out of the hatches rumbling the deck of the ship and, and flying off to uh, kill people what we saw was the explosiveness of these missiles actually making their projection into the sky the missiles were guided by these internal maps over the Zagros mountains of, of Iran, actually, and then into Baghdad from the west. There was a lot of smoke, and it was hard to breathe, and it was hard to see. And um, through all that, there was a lot of posturing and partying that went on on the decks, and, you know, quite angry and aggressive yelling of, quite racist, anti-Arab epithets. It was like, get some Saddam, yeah, crackheads. A really scornful kind of pep rally. 
And then at a certain point, I heard this voice say, uh, I don't think they really understand what they're doing. And um, there was a chaplain of the ship who was standing near me. By that time, I was so disturbed by what people were yelling. I did go to bed for a while, but I, I don't think I slept. Who killed this woman, this artist, this mother, and sauntered away like a beast in the night? Not I, said the soldier. I just followed orders, and it was my duty to do my job well. That I said the leader who ordered the slaughter. I'm sad that it happened. But I was still on the ship when when we found out that uh, eight civilian deaths were reported and, and maybe 20 injuries. And I, I was in a briefing of, of the ship's officers and the, the news of, of the, um, the civilian casualties was presented along with a joke, you know, oops. And uh, they all laughed. It was found to be quite humorous by all the officers, including the chaplain of the ship. The chaplain was also laughing. And uh, he looked up at me and stop laughing. I really wanted nothing by that time but to get off of the ship. In the days shortly after the attack, I had come to understand that we had killed a small child who was found in the arms of his father. And, uh, one of my shipmates, he said he had heard on the news that we'd killed a famous artist, Leila Alakar. My enlistment was coming to an end, and uh, when we made the attack on Baghdad that night, it certainly helped me to decide that I was going to get out of the Navy and go to university and have a different life. So I returned to the U.S. I spent a lot of my later life trying to distance myself from the things I'd done then. But uh, in the spring of 2006, I was at my home in my office, and I discovered... Chris Christopherson's song, The Circle. Who killed this woman, this artist, this mother? Who broke the candle and snuffed out her light? Along with her husband and wounded their children and sauntered away like a beast in the night. Not I, said the soldier, I just followed orders. And it was my duty to do my job well. But I said the leader who ordered the slaughter, I'm saddened it happened. 
been war as hell. Not us, said the others who heard of the horror and turned a cold shoulder on all that was done and all the confusion, the single conclusion, the circle of sorrow has only begun. So, who killed this woman, this artist, this mother? The answer to the question in part is myself. I'm the bad guy in Chris's song. <laughs> the soldier who uh, just followed orders. The song exposed all of that. This forgotten event of history is forgotten. Layla Alatar. She was the first Iraqi artist to have one woman shows in Iraq. She was the curator of the National Museum and uh, that's a shadow hanging over my life that I better reckon with because Who killed this woman, this artist, this mother? Still, the answer is me. Personally, really me. Love Me Today, you heard former soldier Randy Abel. Our interview with Randy was produced with Andrea Diaz. You also heard Kate, which is not her real name. She's still receiving daily emails from her stalker. The voice of Kate's stalker was performed by Trent Party. Today's episode of Love Me was produced by Sarah Geis, Mira Burt-Wintonic, and Crystal Duhame. It was mixed by Mira Burt-Wintonic. Subscribe to Love Me on the CBC Radio app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with your friends. Get in touch with us and let us know what you think of the show at cbc.ca slash loveme. I'm Lou Olkowski. Thanks for listening. If you like Love Me, you should check out some other CBC podcasts, like Sleepover. 
Sleepover is an unusual social encounter where three complete strangers meet for 24 hours to help with each other's problems. It's a compelling social experiment guided by adventurous host Sukyun Lee. When strangers collide, anything can happen. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.